Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age. I am one of your hosts, Austin or Teacup. And I'm Shelby or Sheikup. Yeah, and we are here with another character deep dive. And so we are about to round it out. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about creatures. And last week we talked about Hala. So I think it is pretty fitting that this week's character is who it is. So who are we talking about, Shelby? Yeah. So this week we're talking about Meryl. I did feel like we needed to cover an elf um, right after we talk about Hala. And, you know, there's not a lot of elfy elf companions in Dragon Age. So Meryl it is. She's pretty much the only one there is. (laughs) Bioware, give us charter. Or just like another new elfy elf. Like, I'd be cool with that too. That's true. I think this is off topic a little bit, but I'll bring it up. I do think that in a lot of preparation for Dreadwolf, we need to be okay with some of the more minor NPCs from Inquisition, maybe not being it, mm-hmm. being in it for other characters, new characters to be present. Yeah, I agree. I think by the time you have made three games and you're moving on to the fourth, I do feel like the din of the fandom asking for characters to come back can be a little bit overwhelming and sometimes can be an echo chamber. And so I do agree with you. I would rather have 
new characters and no returning NPCs than have all returning NPCs. And I know it doesn't have to be such an all or nothing, you know, characterization like that. However, I do feel like it's it's better to have the universe be expanded than just limited to what we already know. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that we have to remember as fans, like we've gotten to live with the Inquisition characters for almost 10 years. And we are very attached to some of the Inquisition characters. And so I think we just as a fandom need to remember that there are likely going to be new characters and we might not get every Inquisition character we want to see in the new game. True. So are we ready to move into Meryl? I am. All right. Well, as we've already established, Meryl is a Dalish elf, um, but specifically she's from the Sabre clan and she is a mage as well. And we do know that she's a temporary companion to a Dalish hero of Ferelden, and she is a companion to Hawk in Dragon Age 2. So let's dive into some fun facts. But apparently, this is the first one. Apparently, according to the Bioware social forums, which no longer exist, but there are still archives of them out there. According to the Bioware social forum forums, Meryl can recite all of the known elven history and she can navigate the fade, but she has very little experience with the world or even her own people. That tracks. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes. I do feel like there's another companion who has very little experience of the world and their own people, but has extensive knowledge about the Fade and Elven history. You have some egg on your face. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that that it's very, very similar. And I know a, a long time ago, I was a little bit on the fence of whether or not Meryl would join Solus or not. But I do feel like, after thinking about it for a long time, I feel like Meryl is the number one of all companions who would join Solus. Yeah, and we'll probably talk about this later in the episode when we get into more things, but I do think that... I do think it depends on what you choose as Hawk and what happens to her a little bit, but I do tend to agree with you. I guess, and maybe this is something we can talk about later and we think about, but do you think that Meryl in a lot of ways, is coded as someone on the autism spectrum. Um, I hadn't thought about it, but I, I, I see, I can see the argument for it. I'm not sure um, if I would be prepared to say yes or no right now, but I, I do see the argument for that. Have you read that somewhere or is that something you just have come up with? Um, it's, it, it probably does exist somewhere because the Bioware fan, the Dragon Age fandom is extensive and there's probably someone who said it. But I was just thinking about it, reading the description from the social forums. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that this quote from the social forums reminded me of is that it really kind of implies that she's very book smart, but has absolutely no common sense, which I do think we see in Dragon Age 2. <laughs> and also, I just think that, like, there are a lot of, like, it's played off as wide-eyed innocence, but there are a lot of scenes with her, like, one time she's like, I saw a mugging today. It was very fascinating. 
like incorrect like social kind of behavior yeah like not reading social cues correctly yeah no i see that um maybe we'll have to do a follow-up episode to this and you'll present your argument more clearly um but let's continue with our fun facts so mary kirby who is a writer for bioware she is the one that wrote meryl carver also my nemesis uh, has a crush on meryl Meryl also <laughs> repeatedly falls into the Kirkwall Harbor, which I think is hilarious. She also repeatedly gets lost on her way back to her house in Kirkwall. This goes along with her not being very smart, common sense wise thing. Um, Can we just talk about when she does that? I just picture um, the scene where Michael Scott comes back from when he fell into the koi pond. That's it exactly. I totally see that. Only Michael Scott plays it off like Jim. I don't remember exactly how it happens in the office, but I do think Meryl would be like, yeah, I fell. So what? A fish bit my foot. It was awesome. Exactly. So um, my last two fun facts. Meryl wants to have a pet baby griffin, which she would then name Feathers, of course. So Meryl needs to be a great warden. Exactly. And then last, Meryl is currently the youngest known individual to receive magic. And that happened when she was four years old. Wow. Four. That's across all games. Yes. Correct. It could always change. But yeah, currently she's the youngest. Four is young. That's very young. Mm-hmm. Very young. Though, you know, Shelby, we've been watching DBZ, or we were, and, you know, Gohan is four at the start of that game, or that series. That's true. That is true. And I, every time we watch it, I'm like, how is this kid alive? That's a fair point. <laughs> um, I do feel the same about Meryl sometimes. Fair, fair. All right. Well, let's get into it. All right. So when we first meet Meryl, she is the first to the keeper of her clan. Reminder that the first is the person who's going to succeed the keeper in leadership of the clan. Um, So she is in training to become the next keeper. And this will be really important to remember as we go through her story, especially her story in Dragon Age 2. So Meryl... When we meet her, she's with the Sabre clan, but that's not really her clan, um, at least the clan she was born into. She was born into the Alarion clan, and they wandered throughout Navarra. So originally, Meryl is is Elvin Navarin of origin, but she was not the first, nor was she the second Elven child born with magic to this clan. She was the third. So she was sent to the Sabre clan to be the first to keep her Marathari. And this happened at the Arleth Ven, which is a gathering of all of the Dalish clans. And this is pretty, it's not something that happens all the time, obviously. And Meryl was four years old um, when she was sent to the Sabre clan. So in truth, she... Um, probably considers the Sabre clan to be her family because she probably doesn't remember much before then. Right. So like, I need 
this is something I need from Bioware. Like I need, and maybe we did cover it. I need a like occurrence rate of magic in Thetis. Because so the Sovereign clan has no mage to be there first. But the um the Illyrian clan has three. Like right. what is the what is the occurrence rate of magic here in Thetis? Bioware, let me know. I mean, I do feel like it's somewhat random. Um, and there's been some discrepancy in the lore. Like, this is, some clans do this, some clans don't do this. It's kind of confusing. So I do feel like this is something that Bioware hasn't necessarily standardized yet. Um, they may come to later, but it, it feels very much like, I don't know. It just kind of depends. Well, it would say that, like, you know, some things in the lore would suggest that Daedalus mages who are not the first, who are not the firstborn Daedalus mage or whatever, would, like, take a point of either going to another clan or leaving. I mean, take Dalish from the Chargers. She is in a mercenary group, and you think about Meryl is Meryl. She's a first in another clan, uh, there's the one from Awakening. Can't remember her name. Valana. Valana. I don't, I don't know, know what she, her. I don't know how many other mages were in her clan. She is doing what she's doing to revenge her sister. So I don't know if that's quite the same as what you're talking about. Right. So maybe there is just a thing of like, hey, if you're not the firstborn mage child. Yeah, there's no place for you but I, that seems impractical because what if your first dies like you should like have a second you know? that's they do have a second Meryl was the third so Meryl as we know is a blood mage now her obsession her passion for we can argue over those two verbs um, whatever we want to call it her obsession with the alluvion has caused this has caused her to become a blood mage. And we know that she learned blood magic from a pride demon named audacity. I'm going to leave it at that for now. We will revisit that fact later in the episode, but I think it's important to name now that Meryl has been a blood mage for a long time, longer than she's since before she's known Hawk, she's been a blood mage. So that's pretty important to name just first and foremost. You have thoughts so far? Um, if we're going to talk about it later, I'll save them. Okay. Um, so let's get into Dragon Age Origins. I don't want us to get too on topic of the the blood magic. So we'll talk about Origins first. So in Dragon Age Origins, we do get to meet Meryl if you choose to be a Dalish elf. Um, this was my first origin, the first origin I ever played. So I knew this from the get-go, but I've seen a lot of people who don't know this. Um, so... Meryl is asked by the Keeper to accompany the hero of Ferelden when Tamlin goes missing in the forest. So the story, the origin of this origin is that Tamlin cannot be recovered. Um, he's He's got some kind of sickness that we later find out is the Blight sickness. Um, he's been infected by the Blight. Meryl does not also catch this sickness um, while they're in the forest, but the hero of Ferelden does. And that's kind of the catalyst for having the hero of Ferelden leave their clan and join the Grey Wardens. So that's kind of the story in 
origins that we meet Meryl and she remains, she stays as the, um, as the first to the Sabre clan. So that's origins. Um, and we know this is a little bit in that mid break time between origins and, and two, but we do know that the Sabre clan, when the blight broke out hurriedly made its way to the free marches near Kirkwall. And that's where we meet them in, in Dragon Age two. That's where, um, Meryl is. And that's where we'll pick up her story after our mid break. Yes, that's right. I stopped you to tell you that I'm an idiot. Whew! Thank the Maker you know already. Now I can stop worrying, I'll be found out. Do try to have fun, dear. You could have been one of the Charters, Blackwall. You've got the stature, the attitude. And you'd be my boss. Hey, I'm a great boss. I'm a firm believer in No Pants Fridays. I'd rather fight for a cause. Hey, No Pants Fridays is a cause. All right. Well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things about the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. So first thing is to thank our patrons. Thank you to all of you, especially our first patrons, Lisa M, Genesis, and Derek B. And a special thank you to Nug King, Lewis H. Thank you so much for your patronage. And we have a new Divine Tier patron, Kit at the Divine Tier. Thank you so much for your patronage. And so another great way to support us is to leave us ratings or reviews on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us five stars or more on Apple with some words, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. We're really trying to reach 50 reviews on Apple. So if you have not reviewed us yet and you want to give us some five stars, we'd really appreciate if you went over there and supported us there. Also, I would like to remind you to join our Discord and you can hang out with us there on the Cups Podcasting and More Discord. You can find that link in the episode description. We have lots of fun there talking about all kinds of things. Come and hang out with us. It's an awesome place on the internet. That is also where you can submit your Heroes, Hawks, and Heralds to us to share us your PCs, your original characters from the games. And we do have one to read from our Discord today. We do. And this one is from the Wesbotron. And this one's kind of long, so I am going to summarize it a little bit, if that's okay. So this is Wesbo's Inquisitor. And this is what he says. So James P. Inquisitor was just some schmuck who needed a little money to stay afloat. So he took a job as some important lady's bodyguard. Little did he know that something was about to rock his world. He then woke up in chains to one of the most beautiful people he's ever seen, who he soon found out was Cassandra Pentagast. James vowed to help seal the rift because there was nothing else to do at the time, and, well, now he had some new magical power, which did feel familiar to him. Together, everyone helped seal the rift temporarily, and we all vowed to close it for good. Back at camp, he meets the gang and takes interest in Cullen and Varric. Cullen talks about how he used to be in the Templar Order, and James figures that his Templar experience will help with demons. Varric also intrigues him because his name is familiar, and then he finds out he's some big author or whatever. 
James starts to put the moves on Cass, which she brushes off, but he did notice that she blushed for a brief moment. The crew heads to Orlais to clear the air about the Inquisition, but then gets roasted by some Templar wannabe. After conversing with his newfound best friends in Cullen and Cass, James decides that it's best to try and convince the Templars that we're chill. We then spend the next six weeks in the hinterlands. During those six weeks, James's relationship with Cass grew very much, and she finally noticed him. But then he discovered her secret about a certain dwarf author and his books. On all of their journeys, James asks both Cassandra and Cullen to train him in the way of being a Templar, since their magic would help him understand the power that he has, as well as having the added benefit of fighting demons. They then travel to confront those Templars as and we want them to assimilate into the Inquisition, but there is some trickery afoot. They get transported into the Shadow Realm, which James heroically breaks out of with the help of, quote, a skinny hillbilly who appeared out of nowhere. We all defeat the Envy Demon, and with their power, we will help the Demon Onslaught. When finding out Cole was a demon, James killed Cole. When the party asked why, he explained that regardless of his intentions, he is an evil that could not exist in this world. I just have to take a break from reading this and, and give a side note that this is the most despicable thing I've ever read on this podcast. I didn't even know this was an option. <laughs> was it? Is it an actual option? I think so. Okay. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, this is what he did in his playthrough. We're just going to continue and I'm going to pretend I didn't read that. So, as we know, they get attacked by Corypheus and they escape into the mountains and found Skyhold. And that is when James P. Inquisitor is crowned as the King Inquisitor. Um, and then after some more training, he masters his Templar training and with the help of Varric, successfully wooed Cass. Varric then introduced them to Hawk, the champion of Kirkwall. There's a long pause as we as they stare at each other, becoming rather awkward. Hawk asks if we've ever met because I seem familiar. And James responds with, well, I've never been to Kirkwall before, so I doubt it. Hawk then says that he needs help, and because Hawk knew Corypheus, we should team up. And so they do. They travel to Crestwood in search of Hawk's warden friend. And then they travel to the desert, where they liberate some camps from the rebel scum and complete required rituals and claim a fortress in the name of the Inquisition. And then they travel to another final destination, the fortress where they kill a bunch more demons and fight through to the end. They all get flung into the fade and then they fight their way through to killing the nightmare. James opens up a rift, returning to the real world and being the hero he is, he lets all of the others cross first. But when Hawk passes him, James lets out a powerful magical attack, knocking Hawk down. Hawk rolls on his back to see James crushing a red lyrium crystal he had pulled from his pouch, absorbing its powers. I haven't felt this alive in years, James says as he stalks toward Hawk. A massive battle between James, the two-handed warrior slash Templar, and Mage Hawk. 
The battle was bloody, but the Templar powers were too much for Hawk, leaving him defeated and broken. Hawk then asks in a distraught and harsh tone, why? I also, Shelby, am asking the question, why? James picks up Hawk and whispers in his ear, this is for my mother. Hawk then immediately realizes where he has recognized James from as his eyes are the same eyes as Knight Commander Meredith. Is this fan fiction? This has to be fan fiction. This is 100% fan fiction. Um, it, ultimately, James kills Hawk in the Fade, and then he leaves the Fade, asks what happened. James explains the Nightmare Demon returned and that both him and Hawk fought and defeated it, but it killed Hawk in the process. They then all return. Um, and James heads to his love, Cassandra. They are now inseparable, though if Cassandra knew what James did to Hawk, I don't know if they would still be inseparable. Um, but in this fan fiction, they are inseparable. James comes clean to her that he's been lying this whole time and that he used to be a Templar, which is why he caught on so quickly. But he was ashamed of the man he used to be. The tactic worked on Cassandra as she fully believed that James has atoned for his past life. What is happening? So <laughs> James then decides that he's tired of waiting and takes the fight to Corypheus, charging him head on and single-handedly killing both Corypheus and his dragon. After the final battle, the question of who will be the next divine emerges, to which James tells everyone that his love, Cassandra, will be the next divine. Cassandra accepts um, and would do anything for James because she loves him. The question of what will happen to the Inquisition now that Corey is gone now begins. James arrives an hour late to the Exalted Council and when confronted said, the Inquisition is the reason you are all here, which is why I shall not disband it. I have the full support of the Empress of Orlais as well as the current divine. The Inquisition shall remain a force in this land as a force to keep the peace among all people to ensure nothing like this happens ever again. If anyone wishes to challenge these claims, you are welcome to come and say it to me now. The room remains silent as James leaves and returns to his throne in the mountains. End scene. Wes, we gotta talk. But thank you so much for submitting your uh, Herald, your Inquisitor. And yeah, uh, I have lots of questions, but thank you so much supporting that shelby do you have thoughts or are there too many i would rather not uh share my thoughts <laughs> that i have about this fan fiction here that i have read to everyone <laughs> <sighs> all right you got us good wes you got us good um but yeah so thank you you two can submit actual inquisitors and heroes and Hawks to our Discord, and we will read them out on the show. So you can do that. The last thing I want to talk about is on Dragon Age Day, which is coming on December 4th, we are going to be doing a giveaway for Dragon Age Day. You can find the details on Twitter and our Discord, but we will be doing a giveaway where we will uh, be giving away all kinds of gear from the Bioware store. Uh, I know some of the items are a Varric plushie and some coasters, some other items, and there's different giveaways. It'll be a lot of fun, but you should check it out on Twitter or on the Discord. There are lots of ways to win prizes there, so you can look forward to that on December 4th, Dragon Age Day. 
All right. Well, that's all I got from the mid-break, so we can hop back into it. All right. So let's get back into Meryl. Beg that I succeed, for I have seen the throne of the gods, and it was empty. Your glibness does you no credit. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So, let's talk about Dragon Age 2. In Act 1, when we meet her, she, I don't think, even looks like the same person as she is in DAO. Um, in Origins, her eyes are teal slash blue, and in DA2, her eyes are green. In DAO, her Valisleen, um covers her whole forehead. And in DA2, it does not. In DA2, her ears point outward. And in DAO, her ears point upward. Her entire vibe and look is completely different between the two games. To the point that I've seen several people on the internet say that they didn't even recognize her or connect the dots that they were the same person. What do you think about Meryl's appearance? Um. Well, it's... Like many people, it's not something I realized until later because I didn't play the Dalish Origin until after I played DA2. And I saw Meryl and I was like, wait, your name's Meryl? And then I saw Marathari and I was like, oh, this is the same clan. So after the first appearance, um, when we do first meet her, we learn that she has kept a very small fragment of the Alluvion that is connected to Tamlin's disappearance in Origins. She has cleansed it of the taint somehow. She has studied the lore behind the Alluvion and has become obsessed with figuring it out. Marathari, the Keeper, does not approve of this at all, and the clan essentially shuns Meryl and is terrified of her. Meryl then accompanies Hawk on a ritual that takes place on top of Sundermount. This is a main quest that we see in Act 1. Meryl recites the song in Uthanera. Flemeth is then resurrected, and Meryl joins the party permanently. In Act 2, Meryl needs Hawk's help in attaining a dagger that Meryl believes will help Help her, help her complete the Alluvion. After asking the party to kill the dangerous Varteral, Marathari gives the dagger, also known as the Arulenholm, to Hawk instead of Meryl, which technically she should not have done. She should have given it to Meryl because it is a sacred right that anyone, any um, elf can claim um, as like a, a standing member of the elf in the clan. But instead, Marathari gives it to Hawk because she's afraid of what Meryl will do with it. And Marathari begs Hawk not to give it to Meryl. So Hawk then has the decision to make whether they should keep it or give it to Meryl. And then in Act 3, the Alluvion is still inactive. Meryl finds another scheme, yet another scheme, to fix it. This time, it is to contact the demon Audacity, who helped her originally. Ultimately, as we know, the demon has possessed Marathari, and the party then has to kill her. And Meryl is pretty crushed by all of this. So Meryl's story in Dragon Age 2 is very much a story of trying and failing to fix the Alluvion. Um, we don't technically see her ever fix it in Dragon Age 2. Um, no. um, so 
her story is is almost an arc of failure, if you will. She gets exiled by her clan. She has to move um, in with city and the city elf alienage. She has to leave the life that she's known if she wants to continue um, working on this passion project, which is what she does. But as far as we know, as far as we see in Dragon Age 2, we actually don't ever see her complete this goal. Yes. And no one supports her in this goal. No one. Not a single companion says, yeah, Meryl, do this. This is a good idea. Anders is like, you don't know what you're dealing doing. You have, you're working with forces you don't understand. Um, Bethany is even Bethany is wary of it. Carver obviously has a crush on her, but he hates all things magic. Fenris, again, is Fenris and hates magic. Varric thinks it's a bad idea. Izzy thinks it's a bad idea. Aveline thinks it's a bad idea. Like, no one is really supporting her in this goal. I do think, though, I do think it's hypocritical, um, especially of Anders. But I just feel like none of them are Dalish elves. They don't Mm. understand the significance of the Alluvion. They don't understand the meaning behind it. And so... Fenris would be the only one maybe who who even knows about it but I just feel like I just feel like none of them really have a right to judge Meryl in that way they don't have a right to say Meryl you shouldn't do this because they don't understand the cultural significance of it to Meryl yeah um I really think that in this way I would feel the same way and I'd probably go against the party if it wasn't for Marathari's reaction to Meryl. And like so much of what Marathari does and the choices that she makes is is to protect Meryl from either the clan or herself. I mean, she basically does the shunning of Meryl to prevent the clan from basically demanding her head. That's true. I just feel like how would they even know any of it if she hadn't already told them? Marathari, I mean. I mean, it's a close-knit. I mean, it's not a big place. No, it's not. But I, I do feel like... I do feel like Marathari could have handled this situation better. Probably. Um, it kind of begs the question, and we're going to get into this later, about, like, I come back to why the Alluvian? And I know that it's, like, a relic of Arlathon and everything like that, but... She is obsessed with that more than anything elf or elven related. Why the Alluvion? What does this demon gain from the Alluvion? And this demon has a name, which is significant because there are not a lot of actual named demons in Dragon Age. That's a good point, but I think for Meryl, it's not the significance of the demon. That's not what she's thinking about. She's thinking about the significance to her clan because this thing has already claimed multiple lives. Um, You know, it's taken Tamlin's life and it almost took the hero of Ferelden's life. And um, so I guess she's trying to redeem something that used to be a cultural icon for them. That's how I read it. I definitely think she has pure intentions. I don't think she's trying to do evil with it. I think she's trying to help the elven people. Um, 
but I, I don't feel like she knows where the line is of this is too far or, okay, no, I need to keep pushing. She has no idea where that line is. It's a fair point. Do you have other thoughts about Dragon Age 2? Um, no other, just, no, I do have one. Sorry. Yes, I do have one more thought. And it's about the um, demon's name. And I think it's significant to what Bioware is trying to tell us about Merrick's character, that it is a pride demon that tempts her and not even a pride demon, a pride demon named Audacity. And I think it does come into Meryl a little bit of, she wears the weight of all of this on her shoulders that she has to do this. And it is kind of comes across as prideful or that she has the audacity to think that she's the only one who can recover this, that she's the only one who's going to save and restore the Elven people. Yes, which we'll get into more of this a little bit later in the episode. Um, but in this way, I think that she and Solas have very similar goals. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about Inquisition a little bit. As we know, Meryl doesn't necessarily appear in Inquisition, but she is mentioned. Um, and we do have a few things to talk about. So the Inquisitor can ask Varric about Meryl's fate. If she survived and was not romanced, she stayed in Kirkwall to look after the city elves who were left homeless after the chaos in Kirkwall. She protected them from more fighting between the mages and Templars. If Meryl was romanced, Hawk will say that they didn't want to take her away from this work with the city elves and her clan. And then in the Fade, the Nightmare will threaten Meryl. If Hawk is left behind in the Fade, they then apologize to Meryl before charging at the demon. And then the last and most interesting place we see Meryl in Inquisition is not a place where we actually see Meryl, but when we travel in the crossroads with Morrigan, Meryl's alluvion can be seen in the distance. I was just going to say, it's very interesting because Meryl's alluvion retains the same shape and form as it does in DA2, whereas the alluvions in DAI take a different shape. So I think it's really intentional that Bioware in design is showing us this is Meryl's alluvion. Yes. So I have some quotes I want to read. And then I have a discussion question for us. You know, I love to do that. So I gathered these quotes because I think they're fascinating. So just I'll read them all out back to back. Guarding a clan from the dread wolf is a keeper's place. Your maker is a story you humans use to explain the world. We have our own stories. I don't need to borrow yours. Spirits differ from each other, just as you and Hawk and Isabella are all human, more or less. Magic can't be made safe, and it can't be destroyed. Fear makes men more dangerous than magic ever could. And being a blood mage does not mean sacrificing innocence. All kind of good quotes and showing like how she views the world. Um, I think it could be interpreted of her like just trying to make excuses and justify her own actions. But I think that would be a very shallow reading of her behavior and her words. Um, the one that I think that really stands out to me is guarding the clan from the dread wolf is a keeper's place which I think is a good segue into our very last discussion for the episode. 
Yes. So my discussion question is, does the presence of Meryl's Alluvion in the crossroads suggest that she is already allied with Solus? Do you think this fits her character? Why or why not? I'll let you go first. I do think it fits her character. I do think that if Meryl appears in DAD at all, it will be as an agent of Ben Harrell. I also have a theory that it is Meryl who wakes Finn Harrell and wakes up Solus. That it is her meddling and her movement with the Pride Demon and the Alluvion that actually wakes Solus. Um, and so I think that the timeline matches up because Act 3, and we can place the DLC wherever you really want. I like to think that Hawk kind of does it sometime in between Act 2 and 3. And so we have the Mark of the Assassin, or not the not the Mark of the Assassin, the Legacy DLC with Corypheus. Meryl does all of her stuff with the Alluvian in Act 3. Boom. These two entities have been awoken at the same time to come together and devise their plan. And perhaps, maybe... It is Finn Harrell whispering and moving that gives Anders his presence for, you know, the bomb to blow up the Chantry. Maybe Solus is behind it all ever since the Kirkwall incident. That's really interesting. Um, I don't think it's impossible. That's for sure. I, to me, and this will, I'll say this before I answer the question, but the quote, guarding a clan from the Dread Wolf is a keeper's place very much reminds me of our conversations that DAD could be a story of the Dread Wolf as a title applied to someone other than Solus. That Solus maybe has transcended the title or done something to revoke the title or done something to have the title being taken away. Um, because I do think that the presence of Meryl's Alluvion does suggest she's already allied with Solus. And I completely think this fits her character um, because she's all for wanting to take care of the elves, but also wanting to restore the glory of the elven empire. And those are also Solus's goals. I think Meryl would be a little bit more charitable toward humans and um, other people in Thetis than Solus is. But I, I do think their goals align very closely. And I very much agree with what you're saying about the name of the pride demon, Audacity. You know, Solus is also very associated with pride demons. I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think that's an accident. And I don't think it's a coincidence. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I 100%. There has got to be some pattern. And I don't know if we'll get that in DAD. Or we'll get that in some, maybe she's going to make a casual appearance in Absolution. Maybe it's there's going to be something in one of the upcoming comments, comics. But I think that she is linked to Ben Harrell. But I could be wrong, you know. Yeah, we could easily be wrong. But I do think, I think she'd be more likely to make an appearance in The Missing, the upcoming comic um, in January, than in Absolution. I tend to agree with that. All right, so let's get into our last topic for this episode. Why do you love or hate this character? 
So Meryl was my first ever romance. She's not my canon romance, but she was my first one. And when I was younger and playing DA2 for the first time, I really liked, I liked Meryl's, like, innocence that she had. Um, this kind of, like, wide-eyed view of the world that I thought was cute. And so I do appreciate that. And I do appreciate that Meryl in a world that, over and over again proves to her that it's bad and evil. She never really kind of loses hope that everything has to be bad and evil. And I appreciate that about her. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think I, I have said this before about Meryl, about many other characters, but I do feel like Meryl is a person in Dragon Age who just needs a friend, who needs a person who believes in them. Um, who needs who needs a friend, an unconditional friend who doesn't necessarily have an agenda to convert them or make them think or believe a certain way. Meryl is just a person who needs a friend. And I think she does get that in some of the companions, especially Isabella and Varric. Um, but I think she needs it from Hawk too. And so I I was surprisingly, um, I surprisingly enjoyed her romance. I did not think it was terrible. Um, but at the end of it, I just felt like this would have been better as a friendship more than a romance. So I don't dislike Meryl at all. Um, but I do feel like she just needs a friend. She does. And I think that to echo kind of like what you said, I really do love her relationship with Isabella and the kind of like sisterly role that Isabella takes with Meryl and that like Isabella never wants to take away like Meryl's view of the world or her optimism. Isabella is just kind of there to make sure that she doesn't die. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, but I... I think she's a good character. I think that there is potential for more of her because like you said, you know, this we don't really know a lot about her outside yeah, of the mean, games. As character deep dives go, this one was very short and I honestly wasn't expecting that since she is in Origins too. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, we really don't know a lot of the lore behind Meryl. No, um, Mary Kirby, you should... Uh, just come and hang out with us and tell us all about Meryl and her inspiration. <laughs> That'd be awesome. All right. Well, do you have anything else? I do not. All right. Well, before we go, I just want to give our last special thank you to our Nug King, Lewis H. Uh, thank you so much for your support. And thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. 
If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. How well do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.